Welcome to She Leads in Tech, where we exist to showcase and spotlight the talents and achievements of women in tech. We're a platform to share knowledge, experiences, and expertise to encourage women to realize their leadership potential at every level of career in the tech industry. Diversity and inclusion continues to be at the heart of our mission at She Leads, when only 3% of females say career in tech is their first choice. 78% can't name a famous female working in technology. 16% of females have had a career on technology suggested to them. 5% of leadership positions in the technology sector are held by women. Clearly more needs to be done to close the gender gap in STEM and technology occupations. In this episode, SheLeads founder Lydia Igoche is joined by equality, diversity and inclusion expert Dr. Esther Nkuka to explore the roots caused behind this statistic and share her expertise on what organization can be doing to bridge the gap for good. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on this recording for SheLeads in Tech. Uh, today I've got a very special guest to discuss a topic that I'm sure it is uh, close to all of our hearts and well if not all hearts then certainly all the hearts on the She Leads in Tech platform. My guest today is Dr. Esther Mukuka. She's an equality, diversity and inclusion expert in health and social care and today we're going to be exploring the root cause behind the statistics we all know behind women in tech and STEM in general. So welcome Esther, thank you for joining us today. Thank you Lydia, um, it's such a great opportunity to be um, invited to speak today on your platform um, and to be part of the incredible um, guests that you've uh, invited to speak on your platform um, and as you say I'm really uh, passionate about diversity and inclusion and I hope I can shed some light on on some of the issues that organizations may may want to start thinking about or you know for all of us to start putting into practice um, individually um, to improve the representation of, of women in STEM and in tech. Um, but, but no, it's, it's really great to, to be on your platform today. Thank you so much, Esther. It's a great honor and pleasure to have you here. So just before we get into discussing all of the questions I've written down for you today, I'm sure you will do justice and, and more to all of them. Um, I wanted to get well get to know you better and help our, our audience get to know you better. So can you tell us about you and your career professionally and also any anything you'd like to get up to in your spare time? Yeah, so um I I like to always say that I stumbled into diversity and inclusion because my 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 background well, my educational background is politics and international relations and I did a PhD in women and security um, which I mean there's some implication for diversity and inclusion but it is different and um, I, I went into um, higher education to practice well I started practicing diversity and inclusion in higher education and um, decided to move into health and social care 
as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, I really felt like there was something for me to do and to contribute to the COVID-19, to, to health and social care as a result of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, and um, yes, it's been a steep learning curve for me. It's been eye-opening, but certainly understand that actually for, for, for us to improve the health and wealth of the nation, uh, we've got to think equitably, we've got to do science in a fair way, we've got to be inclusive of a diversity of people and a diversity of thoughts and approaches um, to, to, to improve you know, to improve everyone's experience of health and social care. So, so that's where I'm, I am at the moment. Who knows where, where next I'll go? Maybe finance? I'm, I, this seems to be an interest bubbling in me for finance, but who knows? Who knows? And then as my hobbies, I, um, I like to say that my kitchen is the most used space in the house because we love to cook and experiment um, and I also like to swim when I can when I get the chance to I love to do that too okay that's all amazing thank you for sharing all of that Esther um, so just to give a bit of background on why I selected this topic to discuss with you so of course you are an equality uh, diversity and inclusion expert and one of the questions that has been uh, bubbling in my mind uh, since starting the she leads in tech podcast and the she leads platform is on really understanding what is behind uh, the statistics we have um, around women and, and STEM, uh, sorry, around women in tech and, and STEM in general. And, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot of, you know, publications and there's been all sorts of um, um, symptoms, I would say about, you know, we know there are less women, we know there are less women in leadership and all of the symptoms, but, one of the things I wanted to do was to really start to understand some of the causes. And the first question I really want to put to you today is, is, is a very basic one, but it's really, why is there a gender gap between men and women we find in STEM in the first place? How did we get here? Mm. Oh, that's a really interesting question to start with with um and i don't think that there is one silver bullet you know answer for for all of you know for that particular question i think that there are multiple factors that yeah. has led us to where we are today um but maybe i i i try and touch on a few things that i think has 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 led to this i think you can definitely see within education itself yeah that 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 there is a talent pipeline there is a talent pipeline and there's an issue with women with attrition rates in the talent pipeline and women um actually choosing stem and tech courses and 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 modules to take you know from all the way from further education to higher education and as you go in that that educational pipeline you see how women continue to drop off um, and so I think some of the issues stem all the way back to education and what we need to do to raise awareness of, of why women should be in STEM and in tech and, and actually let women know that you can do it 
Mm. You know, you can do it. I, like I say, I'm not from a STEM background, but that was partly because, you know, I struggled with math and it was just kind of like people made peace with the fact that I was always going to struggle with math as opposed to actually what can we do to encourage you to teach you a different way to understand your needs, yeah. right? So you can um, you can enjoy math, you know, math should be for everyone. You know, I'm I'm now at this age and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying learning and I'm enjoying data. When back in the day in further education, I was told, oh, don't worry, you can just find something that you can do easily. So I think education has a big role to play in it. Then, and secondly, and um, maybe finally, because we've got a long list of, of questions to work through, is, you know, organizational structures not really... Um, being developed um, in a way that doesn't really encourage women to 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 then choose occupations in STEM. Um, I think that there is a lot of work needed to diagnose some of the issues within organizations, which means that they become exclusionary, which means that, you know, things like working models, although those are changing now, have been uh, have discouraged women from going into particular fields um, some of the culture and to- you know toxicity within organizational environments as well which meant that women are not able to you know thrive you know talk less of being able to survive in those environments um, and 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 just you know organizational policies as well which don't encourage women to get into particular um sectors and into particular um occupations and so i i think these are it's a combination of factors but definitely i I would say education and and then also um organizational structures as well that that is quite a robust response and I, I could resonate in particular with that um, education and how women get into STEM because I remember when I was in uh, secondary school you know it, it wasn't the norm that women got in, in, into STEM it was rather that it was the exception mm-hmm. so as as a woman to be considered or to be well as a girl I would say uh, to be considered or encouraged to go into STEM you had to appear as the exception mm-hmm. to the norm before people even looked that way. Mm-hmm. And um, no, not <coughs> preempt your answers for you, but then reflecting on that from the organizational perspective, um, I know many women have um, had conversations with have also that uh, exceptional requirement on them where if you're if you're a woman in, in the STEM field, it's again on that organizational level. Mm an exception rather than a norm mm. and all of that so I think that that was a, a really good point to mm. draw out but j- just in terms of all of these factors another point that has been um, bugging me is, mm-hmm. is whether these issues are actually as complex as they were so of course equality and diversity it is your your forte and there's a whole body of research around it but when I think of it, and being me, I tend to try to simplify things to the <laughs> lowest common denominator to, to help my understanding. 
Um, and when I try to flip that on equality and diversity, I always ask, is it as complex? So you being the expert, my question is, are the factors as complex as they appear? Hmm. I, I think that's a, a really interesting question. I think because they are multifaceted, they are complex. Mm. Right. And I think also because diversity and inclusion issues are so related to social identity and how people see themselves and how people want to be seen and how people want to be um, valued and and you know some of, some of those intangible things that we do not pay attention to so value sense of belonging all of those things um I think that they can become complex and and however however I think that that where there is commitment when there is a commitment to addressing these issues that there are a variety of tools now and there's evidence out there that if you implement certain interventions you get an answer but again the willingness is the 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 key point is willingness and commitment and we can see that actually after the you know, the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of organizations woke up to diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, many, many years after that, a lot of organizations have gone quiet again because they don't know where to start with addressing all of these issues. But I, I, I say that there is a lot of evidence out there, you know, um, PwC um, have done a lot of research on, on diversity and inclusion, and there is evidence that there is value in doing it, that uh, implementing inclusive recruitment processes um, actually means that you get diversity of thought within your organization, that there is a business case, not just the moral ethical case, but there is a business case for doing it. So, you know, I'm not going to say <laughs> it's not complex, you know, some of the work you need to do to do to to diversity and inclusion well is collect data for example but if the structures for the collection and analysis of the data are not in place there may be an ambition you could very well have a massive ambition to 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 understand your data but then you face the challenge of not having the systems in place to help you do that work Mm -hmm. so I think that because organizations some organizations anyway having been built with inclusion the foundation has not been inclusion what they experience when they're trying to retrofit inclusion yeah is that difficulty because it's multifaceted um, and because it's people and people are complex and fascinating and dynamic. Yeah. And, and for that reason, it, you know, there's a level of complexity to it. Oh, well, that, that is excellent. And just on those points you've made, there are, level, there are lots of questions I have just come <laughs> up in my head, but I'm really, really going to try um, to stick to the script um, because one of the questions I had on my list here is around understanding the structural and, and systemic uh, practices in today's workplace that have contributed to the gender gap in tech and, and STEM. And you touched on that and saying, you know, we are trying to retrofit 
um, a solution to either a culture or an organization where that wasn't the um, original intent. So can you expand on, on that point a bit? <laughs> yeah, so when I say, when I'm talking about retrofitting, I think, you know, I was just studying root cause analysis and trying to do a fishbone analysis for, for diversity and inclusion right. before I chat today. And actually, in, in doing that, you know, I was reminded that actually when you look at some of the systemic structural issues, mm. what, what some organizations are doing today is, is not trying to diagnose what the challenges are you know, and and this is partly because because many groups have been underrepresented. Organizations feel like, right, we just need to jump straight to answer the question or to provide in a question. Um, and this is where the retrofitting comes in, as opposed to taking time to understand, right? Let's take a step back. What are some of the challenges in our recruitment that mean? we are not attracting a diverse set of candidates mm -hmm. to our, uh, our positions within the organization. Mm -hmm. And then you take another step back from that question to say, okay, so why is that happening? Is that because we are not advertising in non-traditional um, media, non-traditional uh, um, um, agencies that would help us reach those diverse candidates that we want to reach. Mm -hmm. And then if you look, you can look forward and then say, right, okay, if we're not doing all of those things, that means we're only recruiting a certain type of person into the organization, mm -hmm. right? And then you recruit that person and then you do a gender, gender gap analysis and why why will you be surprised that you're, there's a gender gap? Mm. And, and is that because some organizations tend to be focused on bringing in people who can meet the current need rather than trying to um, evolve to meet a, a future need or evolve to, to meet a social, social need, so mm. to speak? I think that, again, with that, there's like a, multiple issues. I think that we, we tend to be sometimes very, hmm, we tend to have tunnel vision. There's a job to do, there's a task to do, just get someone to fix that, as opposed to thinking, right, we as an organization have a, a corporate social responsibility. We've got diversity and inclusion we've got a commitment to sustainability we've got you know we've got all of these strategies embedded in legislation that we need to be delivering yeah. towards right and then how do those things then influence how we do recruitment how do those things then influence how we think about talent yeah. and how we diversify talent to address those needs so if I am recruiting I want to ensure that it's on you know, it, it goes out widely that I'm considering people from a range of sectors, you know, um, for me, for example, working in health and social care, I would have never thought I would have gotten in because of my, my background, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing the job in health and social care. 
did they mean that I had to, you know, like I said earlier, it's a steep learning curve because, yeah. you know, it's, it's a new area, but that there is an investment for me to be able to do that, for me to grow as well as to bring my own contribution mm. and thought diversity to a room where there is there's always usually a, a, a higher proportion of people from 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 the the, the health and uh, from the health sciences and, and medical sciences and all of that yeah I think that's that's actually a good a good perspective to draw out of, of that point you made because businesses and organizations need to have that view from the beginning that we are we are making an investment mm-hmm. and that is going to produce returns and not just um, trying to fill a gap because it's it's the government policy mm-hmm. or legislative requirement to do that. But it really has to be a shift from, you know, instead of just ticking the boxes, we are making an investment. And like you said, we've got the research and evidence now to show that that research pays off. And yes. It will pay off eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I, I think you've already touched on the sub uh, question I had around uh, organization and systemic practices, um, but I just wanted to um, ask you to maybe outline a couple of initiatives that may be going on in the social space um, that you know about to help address some of the equality and diversity issues we all know. I think a lot of people, especially living under a rock at the moment, would have heard that Airbnb announced recently that its employees could work from anywhere. Yeah. You know, and you know, it yeah. will support and and look at that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were looking at Airbnb's website for job opportunities. <laughs> yes, looking for job opportunities. And you know, it's I know not many organizations are in the position to support that yet, but another example is how in the UK, there are a number of organizations now piloting a four-day week, four-day week um, for their employees and just to see how that improves employee satisfaction and health and well-being, given that the pandemic showed us how fragile the mental health of the nation is and and how we need to as organizations to look after that. So I think that there are policies around recruitment, around work, you know, work-life balance that can be introduced and we can see these rich examples being um, um, already uh, implemented by several organization, um, organizations and and I think hybrid working as well is another thing I work in a you know in a hybrid organization and that's amazing because for me you know being my home is is important but I also value the networking that I that I can do with my colleagues and to be able to be there for my team and to have that physical um, connection with my team when whenever we have the opportunity so um so there are things like that I think in terms of the culture and there's so many culture initiatives that can be um, put in place within a working environment I I think you know things like simple things like staff staff networks and affinity groups to you know where where staff can 
talk about issues, but also support the organization with innovative ideas to address the challenges that exist. You know, this is, I am so passionate about staff networks because if empowered effectively, um, they really are the powerhouse for the organization because they've got a vested interest in helping organizations evolve and, and helping organizations bec become the place where people want to stay, you know, and can be, um, they can be invaluable for supporting uh, retention within, within organizations. Yeah, that, that is excellent because, um, when I have thought about uh, staff networks before hearing this, you know, I understand the support and all of that, but I've, I've never thought of, about the uh, innovative element and how the staff network can also feed into the business. But, you know, I, I can follow your logic from the explanation mm -hmm. to see, you know, if there's a staff network, people are supported, then they can innovate. And then the business benefits from that innovation as well. And I think that is that that is a new takeaway for me. <laughs> something I've understood um, all Thank you. And you did lead quite naturally into my next question around COVID and how the pandemic has affected um, women in STEM and, and tech-related occupations. So is, is there any uh, research statistics available to help understand whether COVID has either made the gender gap wider, <laughs> made it even, or made it shrink? Mm. Where it <clears throat> so I haven't read any papers. To be honest, I haven't done that research myself to see what, what data is out there. Yeah. But I think we've got anecdotal evidence that really states that for, for women carried a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the burdens associated with the working from home and the homeschooling. And, and this is not to say in any way that, you know, this is always, it was always the case for all of the households across the UK, but, um, and I don't have a specific, uh, uh, um, a specific statistic associated with that that I can quote but I, I would say from a general perspective that we can see that um, and from a lived experience perspective as well that you know I think COVID-19 affected a lot of people's mental health and mental well-being you know I think COVID-19 also also had an impact in terms of um, the great resignation you know, a lot of people have been really rethinking what what is work? Yes. What is work? And I think all of us will have had that moment where we stopped and thought, is this it? Is, is this really it? And 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 it would be great. And I, I read recently the Gallup survey around um, the great resignation and how actually a lot of people were either resigning from work or thinking about leaving work and um it'll be interesting to see what the gender split for 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 that is because i didn't come across that in my research mm -hmm. um but I, I i expect as you know i'll speak as as for myself as a woman and that um you know there were moments where i did stop to think what what are the best things of work and what is work offering me at the moment you know 
diff that is different from you know from before the start of the pandemic that means that I can have a better work-life balance to 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 help me um continue in the world of work I, I definitely know that I never considered flexible working before COVID-19 you know and and that was something that I that, that I've considered and 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 explored what the benefits the benefits are associated with that yeah, that's and I think that's an area that's uh, just going to uh, become more obvious as the research develops. But it was one of those questions, you know, that is really on the top of my list, which is what has COVID done uh, to the stats? And it, it would just be interesting to follow that just to see uh, where we have landed, because I guess in, intuitively you would think that. Um, because COVID has forced all of us, as you said, to mm. either consider, well, at, at least at first during the proper lockdowns, everyone had to work from home, right? So unless you, you needed to physically be somewhere to do your job, you work from home. So that was a false situation for most people. Mm. Um, but just as you said, um, you, your, your experience of, you know, finding yourself of a, of a different, in a different situation, um, I think it will be one everyone can resonate with, which is, you know, we're now in this um, place where work and life have now meddled. <laughs> <laughs> difficult to separate one from the other. And I, I think that in itself will pre uh, present quite, uh, quite a lot of interesting challenges. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Cool. So uh, my next question is one you touched on earlier when you were discussing organization and structures is around visibility and representation in leadership. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you if, you know, the, the, the current states in, in tech leadership and I guess in, in many global uh, leadership organizations where it's mostly led by men, mm -hmm. has that in one way or the other unconscious bias against women entering those same um, those same positions either in just any, any industry but more specifically in tech and, and STEM areas. Yeah so we know that from research we know that role models have a huge role to play in in where people choose to go in terms of their occupations. And, and I think in general, it's fair to say that things are getting better. However, you know, um, you know data still shows that, you know, in um, C-suite jobs is still highly dominated by, uh, by, by men. Um, but, I, but, but to answer your question, I think, that because there is a lack of role models at that senior level it is less clear to people right how do we break the barriers how do we as ourselves go into areas like this but also is it safe I think people ask the question if someone like me isn't represented in that organization is it safe for me to enter that organization? Yeah. And it may, be, it, it may be a small question, but actually it's a massive question. If I am looking at like a, a, an organization and I try and find who the leaders are and I look at websites and I cannot see people like me within leadership, people like me within teams, 
the question I'll be asking myself is whether it's safe to enter this organization and whether this organization, you know, values um, um, diversity, whether this organization values women and the contribution that women um, women have to offer. So, um, so I think role modeling is 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 huge, and and organizations need to pay attention to that. I think it, it's you know the, the other day I was looking on LinkedIn and I saw um, I think it's the chief diversity officer for Google, and I was like, oh wow, okay they're a woman right <laughs> and I you know for me I felt you know the next thing I did is how did she get there yes we need to bring her here to tell us about yeah how did she get there and I spent time looking at her her employment and all of that and her employment history and educational history because then I know exactly what to do to also get there mm. No, that is such a good point. And it's it's one that we experienced here um, the last uh, two weeks. Our, our guest speaker, Ros Singleton, was here with us. And it was just amazing to hear uh, a human being, a woman, not just human, <laughs> talking about how she you know, got to her current position of being a CEO because that wasn't and, and definitely isn't something that is in 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 popular uh, supply. So it was great to hear of that of her experience. And you know, like you said, you you kind of look at the breadth of experience of your role model models, and then it's relatable, right? You can say, okay, you know, she was a project manager when she was five years into her career and this is what she did. And, and maybe for, for, for a mentee or anyone looking up to someone or a woman in those positions, they could go, ah, I can see she didn't need to be for five years because she could have learned it in two years or I've got a different background or I'm there. So it is so, so important, right? Because people would, would see and then they would start to model themselves. Absolutely. And, and that's the power of role models. That is the power. It's, it's a simple thing, but you know, I, you put it out there and someone is saying, oh, like you say, oh, only senior project manager for, for two years. Okay, what did they do within those two years? And you it almost acts as a guide. And by doing that, you know, the mentor mentorship process, even a course without a formal, formal mentoring relationship needed. Yes. Yeah, that is cool. Well, we're now into the segment where we discuss what we can do. So obviously we've talked about organizations, we've talked about um, employers, we touched slightly on regulations and policies, and we talked about um, individuals, what we can do. But I just wanted to round that out to conclude our discussion, just to ask, you know, what should government or policymakers do or be doing um, to uh, create a level playing field for women in tech and STEM? What can employers do um, mm. in their own space to improve diversity? And then what can I as an individual do for myself? Thank you. So I think with, with government, I think the government has a, a lot of, um, has a role to play in just creating policies that actually encourage employers to think 
about diversity. So at the moment, we have the Equality Act 2010, which, you know, which, you know, there's this public sector equality duty that organizations have mm -hmm. to ensure that they are not discriminating against women or anyone across those nine protected characteristics um, to you know, to join organizations. But I think, you know, the government has leverage in pushing for more flexible working policies, hybrid working, and, you know, encouraging people to retrain. And, you know, we can see government policies out these days. Um, in terms of organizations, I think if you don't have a strategy for diversity and inclusion, it should be part of your organizational strategy. Your organizational strategy is incomplete. And I say that boldly, if you do not have um, an approach to diversity and inclusion, you've got to have a strategic delivery plan and a set of principles, uh, actionable points, um, to support diversifying um, talent within your organization, diversifying opportunities within your organization, um, and ensuring that your organization is inclusive. It's, I think it's fair to say that you are behind the curve if you are, if you don't have a strategy. So it's important as organizations to think about that. Um, but, but, you know, a strategy is a strategy, you know, it, it can hang on a shelf somewhere. It's really about the actionable points and really engaging with your key stakeholders to ensure that you are implementing it and that you are measuring success. Um, I think in terms of an individual, I think we've got a big part to play in terms of making inclusion pervasive mm. you know it, it needs to be everywhere um and we've got roles to we, we are role models we are ambassadors how we speak to people the only reason I did the PhD is because a professor said you can do it mm. right and that's why I then stopped and thought, I thought to myself, okay, well, I can do it. If someone thinks I can, then actually I need to think better of myself. I can do it. And yeah. I think it needs, to, it needs to start from home, but it needs to start with our relationships at work. The way we speak to each other needs to be inclusive. And we need to encourage people to try, to try different things. I don't think that, you know, I think life has shown us and, and I'm sure you can attest to that as well that um, there is no single linear career pathway so it's about yeah. trying different things and I think part of our responsibility is to encourage people doesn't matter how old you are you know try something in STEM try something in tech learn how to code learn how to you know I've been seeing a lot of things and I'm thinking can I learn how to code? You yeah. know, do, yeah. will I change? Will I change my career in when I'm 35? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. Honestly, this this has been a really uh, engaging and enlightening uh, conversation into um, EDI. 
in general and I really want to thank you because there's there's lots of things I've, I've learned from this conversation that I didn't know before and of course as with all of these sessions there's always a lot to chew on and and process but again I just wanted to thank you for joining us here today to to share your thoughts on a Friday afternoon <laughs> I know there'll be lots of things you would uh, rather be doing so really um really chuffed you prioritized um being here with me and again thanks for sharing your experience and expertise with with us here no thank you Lydia and you know uh, to be honest there's no better way to spend my Friday afternoon than being able to talk about this so it's um it's great to to have been able to contribute in whatever way I can to the platform and and hopefully you know this is not the first and the last time to you know to be invited thank you and and you have a lovely afternoon as well you too Esther mm -hmm. cheers